0: indigenous rights radio because knowledge is power
1: cop-15 negotiations are underway in montreal canada and there will be many decisions made each of these decisions made by member states will have a profound impact on indigenous communities and it's absolutely critical That these decisions center a human rights-based approach and protect the rights of indigenous peoples, especially when it comes to area-based conservation, biodiversity conservation, fair and equitable benefit sharing from the use of genetic resources, and the risk assessment of living modified organisms. The evidence is indisputable. The areas occupied and managed by indigenous peoples span 24% of the global terrestrial surface and they are home to 80% of the world's remaining biodiversity. This is no coincidence. Indigenous peoples have known how to live on and take care of the land since time immemorial. We know that wherever you find cultural diversity, you will be sure to find biological diversity. In fact, globally, there are overlaps of areas rich in biodiversity with areas of cultural and linguistic diversity.
0: Hi, my name is Chrissy Grant. I'm Eastern Guggen from the Cape York of Australia and the Daintree in the Daintree region and uh, Mawagal from the Torres Strait right at the tip of Australia. Um, I work with my community, Jabalbinae Yellingee Aboriginal Corporation and that's who I'm here. Uh, sponsored by or supporting and um we do a lot of work in, uh, around IPAs, around our uh, joint management of national parks, which we negotiated for four years with the Queensland Government to hand it back to us. And in five years, we want to be able to be in a position where we are um, building our competency, our capacity, uh, so that in 10 years, we actually look at uh, sole management. So that's one thing. But we also have an um, IPA over three different areas. And and part of that IPA process was that we dedicated um, areas that we thought that was safe enough to be an IPA because uh, then it might have been about, um, you know, sort of the environment where we might have been able to do restoration across the lowlands of the uh, ranges of the National Park, um, but also um, looking at, you know, sort of cultural heritage and um, economic and social um, benefits that we get out of the IPA. The IPA was a program that was introduced in um, 1997 in Australia and uh, uh, we had um, at that time government, being a government program, they declared that it was an IPA and uh, in consultation with the with the um, Aboriginal people but um, it, after a while the, the Aboriginal people thought that it wasn't that they wanted the government to take it and declare it. They wanted to be in the driver's seat to be able to say, we will dedicate this parts of our territory, land and waters to the IPA program, and then we will manage it. And so the the change has been that the, the Aboriginal people are now in the driver's seat as to what they dedicate towards their, their IPA. The, the thing about our IPAs is that we have ranges that work on the IPAs that allow um, them to be engaged in the management of, of uh, and monitoring of uh, the species and and um, you know sort of to be able to, to um, actively uh, look after our mm. cultural mm. heritage sites. Um, to actively look at the social benefits um, and a lot of that might be uh, about health, about education, even about housing, um, particularly out in those remote communities. So it's a model that has been um, originally introduced but then we've refined it I suppose Um, and a few years ago um, we uh, fed information or provided information to the um, Canadian government about the model that we had at the time and where we started from. And um, that's where their IPCAs came from. But, um, you know, sort of uh, at the time, I think I might have been um, the chair of the IPA, was chair of the IPA uh, committee, subcommittee from 2007 for about seven years. So, um, you know, sort of I've been engaged in, you know, sort of looking at because they, um, the the traditional owners or the Aboriginal people put up a submission that they want an IPA on their lands and then we have to go through and check that yes, it's it's across areas, um, national parks, um, their own tenure land um, and not across areas that we can't sort of put something over. Um, without you know sort of explicit, explicit permission from say a landowner, owner a private landowner, because some of it can be across private land as well. So these are all the the um, refinements that we've done with the IPA program. What I hope to see that you know we might be able to get something out of this conference is that. Parties become willing to, you know, they, there's a lot of talk about, you know, sort of helping Indigenous peoples and in local communities. But if parties are willing to actually support Indigenous peoples to have their IPA and introduce an IPA program, we probably will get to by 2030 very close to 30% land um, protected, and and that's that's a a good outcome, I think, for both parties, for the environment, for the Indigenous peoples, so that, you know, sort of there is some actual achievement out of all of these negotiations that we've been going through for a long time, um, probably five years or more, and uh, now we're at at the time when we're actually, you know, sort of the decision makes a difference. So yeah, there's hope, there's hope, I think, for the future.
1: For more on the rights of indigenous peoples visit cs.org and follow Cultural Survival on Facebook and Twitter.